Hello, my friends. So, this is a new way of doing things. I'm doing my podcast on camera today. So, this book is what I've been doing some reading from, and I'm holding my tiny little microphone. Um, Raja Yoga by Swami Vivekananda. We are on, I think, the last chapter that I'm really going to read for people, um, because after this, it starts to get into the yoga aphorisms, the, the uh, yoga sutras described um, in detail by Vivekananda. They're like the aphorisms, um, the yoga sutras of Pentanjali. I think I said it right this time. <laughs> Um, so I'll read this chapter, and it's probably going to be the last chapter that I do from Raja Yoga. Um, Raja Yoga in brief is what the chapter is called. The following is a summary of Raja Yoga freely translated from the Karma Purana. The fire of yoga burns the cage of sin which imprisons a man. Knowledge becomes purified, and nirvana is directly obtained. From yoga comes knowledge. Knowledge, again, helps the yogi to obtain freedom. He who combines in himself both yoga and knowledge, with him the Lord is pleased. Those who practice maha yoga either once a day or twice or thrice or always know them to be gods. Yoga is divided into two parts. One is called abhava yoga and the other maha yoga. That in which oneself is meditated upon as a void, in which qualities is called abhava yoga. Butchering that one. I'm sorry, you guys. So I'm going to read that sentence again. This is an important depiction between the two um, parts of yoga. Yoga is divided into two parts. One is called abhava yoga and the other maha yoga. That in which oneself is meditated upon as a void and without qualities is called a bhava yoga. That in which one sees oneself as blissful, bereft of all impurities, and as one with God is called maha yoga. The yogi, by either of these, realizes the self. The other yogas that we read and hear of do not deserve to be ranked with maha yoga, in which the yogi finds himself the whole universe to be God. <clears throat> this is the highest of all yogas. Yama, Nayama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Daharana, Dhyana, and Samahi are the steps in Raja Yoga. So like the eight limbs of yoga we're talking about now. Non-injury, truthfulness, non-covetedness, chastity, and not receiving anything from another are called Yama which purifies the mind, the chitta. Never producing pain in any living being by thought, word, or deed is what is called ahimsa, non-injury. There is no virtue higher than non-injury. There is no happiness higher than what a man obtains by this attitude of non-offensiveness to all creation. By truthfulness, we attain the fruits of work. Through truth, everything is attained. In truth, everything is established. 
Relating facts as they are, this is truthfulness. Not taking others' goods by stealth or by force is called astayam, non-covetousness. Chastity in thought, word, and deed, always and in all conditions, is what is called brahmakara, yeah. Oh, that one's a tough one, you guys, this chapter, I tell ya. Um, not receiving any present from anybody, even when one is suffering terribly, is what is called aparigraha. The idea is that when a man receives a gift from another, his heart becomes impure. He becomes low. He loses his independence. He becomes bound and attached. The following are helps to success in yoga and are called nayama or regular habits and observances. Tapas, austerity. Svyahaya, study. Santosha, contentment. Sacham, purity. And Isvara Pranindahana, worshiping God. So the habits of Nayama, without me butchering all of these Sanskrit terms, um, in the English translation is austerity, study, contentment, purity, and worshiping God. And that is what makes up Nayama. Fasting or in other ways controlling the body is called physical tapas. Repeating the Vedas and other mantras by which the sattva material in the body is purified is called study. There are three sorts of repetitions of these mantras. One is called verbal, another semi-verbal, and the third mental. The verbal or audible is the lowest and the inaudible is the highest of all. Repetition, which is loud, is the verbal. In the next one, only the lips move, but no sound is heard. The inaudible repetition of the mantra, accompanied by the thinking of its meaning, is called mental repetition and is the highest. The sages have said that there are two sorts of purification, external and internal. The purification of the body by water, earth, or other materials is the external purification. Bathing is an example. Purification of the mind by truthfulness and by other virtues is what is called the internal purification. Both are necessary for the practice of yoga. It is not enough for a man to be internally pure. When only one is attainable, the internal purity is to be preferred but no one will be a yogi until he has both. God is worshiped by praise, by thought, and by devotion. We have spoken about yama and nayama. The next is asana, posture. So this is the yoga that most people think of is yoga. The only thing to understand about it is to leave the body free, holding the chest, shoulders, and head straight. Then comes pranayama. See how fast the part of yoga on asana was um, and how much we talk about everything else and how in our culture, in the Western culture, so often people only know about, <clears throat> about that tiny fraction of yoga and it's so much more than that. 
Um, okay, then comes pranayama. Prana means the vital force in one's own body, and the word ayama means control. There are three sorts of pranayama, the very simple, the middle, and the very high. It is further divided into three parts, filling, restraining, and emptying. When you begin with 12 seconds, it is the lowest pranayama. When you begin with 24 seconds, it is the middle pranayama. The pranayama, which begins with 36 seconds, is the best. In the lowest kind of pranayama, there is perspiration. In the medium kind, quivering of the body. And in the highest pranayama, levitation of the body and influx of great bliss. There is a mantra called the Gayatri, a very holy verse of the Vedas. <clears throat> it reads, We meditate on the glory of that being who has produced this universe. May he enlighten our minds. Om is joined to it at the beginning and the end. In one pranayama, repeat three Gayatris. All the books speak of pranayamas being divided into rachaka, rejecting or exhaling, paraka, inhaling, and kumbhaka, restraining or stationary. I did skip the section on pranayama because um, it needs to be learned once you establish a foundation in your other practices of yoga. And since um, I'm not sure if everybody who watches these videos is practicing everything with um, purification and balance beforehand, I don't want to give any type of um, instructions or information that could potentially be dangerous to people. So make sure you do um, your homework and prepare your body and your mind before you start practicing pranayama. I mention it every single time pranayama comes up. <laughs> it's important. Um, the indriyas, the organs of the senses, are turned outward and come in contact with external objects. Bringing them under the control of the will is what is called pratyahara, or gathering towards oneself. Fixing the mind on the lotus of the heart or on the center in the head is what is called daharana. Confined to one spot as the base, certain mental waves arise. These waves, not swallowed up by other kinds of waves, by degrees become prominent, while the latter recede and finally disappear. Next, the multiplicity of the original waves gives place to unity and one wave only is left in the mind. This is dhyana, meditation. When no basis is necessary, when the whole of the mind has become one wave, has attained one formedness, it is called samadhi. Bereft of all association with places and centers, only the meaning of the wave is present. If the mind can be fixed on a center for 12 seconds, it will be a dharana. 12 such dharanas will be a dhyana, and 12 such dhyanas will be a samahi. Oh, power of 12. I've never heard that explanation other than in this book. I like it. Where there is apprehension of fire or water, where the ground is strewn with dry leaves, where there are many ant hills, where there is danger from wild animals, where four streets meet, where there is too much noise, where there are many wicked persons, 
their yoga must not be practiced. This applies more particularly to India. Do not practice when the body feels very lazy or ill, or when the mind is very miserable and sorrowful. (laughs) Go to a place which is well hidden and where people do not come to disturb you. Do not choose dirty places, rather choose beautiful scenery or a room in your house which is beautiful. When you practice, first salute all the ancient yogis and your own guru and god and then begin. So, side note, I do yoga wherever I can because we don't all have, I mean, this is pretty beautiful. So, my tree gives me tranquility so yeah I do yoga in here sometimes but I have read and I think I've said in like when I was reading the introduction they suggest having like a separate room if you are able to to do yoga meditation um, not a room where you sleep a separate room um, and provide like a sacred space so that way just upon entering the area you already enter that mind space as well that's like the goal of what you're trying to achieve with setting apart a beautiful place to do this type of practice um, Diana having been explained a few examples are given of what to meditate upon sit straight and look at the tip of your nose later on we shall come to know how that helps to concentrate the mind how by controlling the two optic nerves, one advances a long way towards the control of the arc of reaction and so to the control of the will. Here is one specimen of meditation. Imagine a lotus upon the top of the head, several inches up with virtue as its center and knowledge as its stalk. The eight petals of the lotus are the eight powers of the yogi. Inside, the stamens and pistils are renunciation. (laughs) If the yogi refuses the external powers, he will come to salvation. So the eight petals of the lotus are the eight powers, but the internal stamens and pistils are extreme renunciation. The renunciation of all these powers inside that lotus think of the golden one the almighty the intangible whose name is om the inexpressible surrounded by effulgent light meditate on that another meditation is given think of a space in your heart and think that in the midst of that space a flame is burning think of that flame as your own soul Inside the flame is another effulgent light, and that is the soul of your soul, God. Meditate upon that in the heart. Chastity, non-injury, forgiving even the greatest enemy, truthfulness, and faith in the Lord. These are all different vows. Be not afraid if you are not perfect in all of these. Work and you will succeed. He who has given up all attachment, all fear, and all anger, he whose whole soul has gone unto the Lord, he who has taken refuge in the Lord, whose heart has become purified with whatsoever desire, he comes to the Lord. He will grant that to him. Therefore, worship him 
through knowledge, love, and renunciation. He who hates none, who is the friend of all, who is merciful to all, who has nothing of his own, who is free from egotism, who is even-minded in pain and pleasure, who is forbearing, who is always satisfied, who is ever devoted to yoga, whose self has become controlled, whose will is firm, whose mind and intellect are given unto me. Such a one is my beloved Bhakta. Bhakta. He from whom comes no disturbance, who cannot be disturbed by others, who is free from joy, fear, and anxiety, such a one is my beloved. He who does not depend on anything, who is pure and active, who does not care whether good comes or evil, and never becomes miserable, who has given up all efforts for himself, who is the same in praise or in blame, silent and thoughtful, pleased with what little comes his way, homeless, having the whole world for his home and steady in his mind, such a one is my beloved Bhakta. Such a one becomes a yogi. So, in studying more and more and more, the path of the yogi is similar to like the path of a monk almost in my interpretation because um, they don't have to live away, you know, and this idea of monk living in a monastery somewhere away. No, but it is that type of practice brought into your daily life. Um, and so it's a lot more than downward facing dog, right? Um, there was a great God sage called Narada. Just as there are sages among men, great yogis, so there are great yogis among the gods. Narada was a great yogi and renowned. He traveled everywhere. One day he was passing through a forest and saw a man who had been meditating until the white ants had built a huge mound around his body. He had been sitting in that position so long. He said to Narada, where are you going? Narada replied, I am going to heaven. Then ask God when he will be merciful to me, when I shall attain freedom. Farther on, Narada saw another man. He was jumping about, singing and dancing, and said, oh, Narada, where are you going? His voice and his gestures were wild. Narada said, I am going to heaven. Then ask when I shall be free. Narada went on. In the course of time, he came again by the same road, and there was the man who had been meditating with the ant hill around him. He said, Oh, Narada, did you ask the Lord about me? Oh, yes. What did he say? The Lord told me that you would attain freedom in four more births. Then the man began to weep and wail and said, I have meditated until an anthill has grown around me, and I have yet four more births. Narada went to the other man. Did you ask my question? Oh, yes. Did you see this tamarind tree? I have to tell you that you shall be born as many times as there are leaves on that tree, and then you shall attain freedom. The man began to dance for joy and said, Ah, I shall have freedom after such a short time. A voice came, 
My child, you will have freedom this minute. That was the reward for his perseverance. He was ready to work through all those births. Nothing discouraged him. But the first man felt that even four more <clears throat> four more births were too long. Only perseverance like that of the man who was willing to wait eons brings about the highest result. That's the end of the chapter. So that story kind of reminds me of all the Zen stuff that I read, right? Like the more you try to chase it, the more it is aloof. Um, yeah, or elusive. <laughs> and that is very similar. So that was the chapter on the intro. I mean, it's not, it's like in the middle of the book. So it's not like the introduction, but an intro to Raja Yoga. I hope that you guys liked um, reading from this book. If there's chapters in here that I find that are um, something that I think is shareable, I, I will definitely come back and share more of Raja Yoga. Sending you love and positive vibes.